The following podcast is brought to you by the Village Sendo. For more information, visit villagesendo.org. Hi, everyone. Can you hear me online? Thumbs up. Can you hear me in here? Thumbs up. Ooh, we did it. We're in how many worlds at once? <laughs> um, for those of you I haven't met, my name is Fusho. Uh, it's really nice to be here, officially spring. Um, before I start my talk, I wanna be very clear um, about the subject matter in this particular case. So uh, <clears throat> this talk for me is about being a, a bodhisattva, but um, it will also include a reference to a topic that's very sensitive for some people. I will be referencing a clip from a podcast episode that a friend sent me a while back uh, that I can't stop thinking about. And that episode is a story about a high school boy who died by suicide. So I just wanted to um, set that out there for people to know that that is what some of the subject will be, but not not the entirety of the, of the talk. So as far as um, about being a bodhisattva, well, isn't that what we're all doing here? Um, I think at the end of the day, that, that's what we're doing here. For whatever reason that we're moved to start practicing, um, it doesn't take long, I think, for a longing to have a more meaningful life and to help others naturally arises. And so I think all of our practice and our liturgy and the study, and obviously taking the precepts is all pointing towards um, what it means for us to experience living a life of a bodhisattva. And what is a bodhisattva? The bodhisattvas are enlightened beings who have put off entering paradise in order to help others attain enlightenment. And there's lots of other descriptions that we can find out there and lots of guidelines, definitions, um, pointers, I like um, Kosho Uchiyama Roshi's version. Uchiyama, the contemporary Japanese Zen teacher and writer and translator. <clears throat> There's a nice little piece in Tricycle uh, asking what is a bodhisattva? And his answer is, it's an ordinary person who acts like a true adult. <laughs> um, he says, most people in the world act like children. And today, most people who are called adults are only pseudo adults, pretty direct. <laughs> um, he says, physically they grow up and become adult, but spiritually 
too many people never mature to adulthood. They don't behave as adults in their daily life. And a bodhisattva is one who sees through the world, sees the world through adult eyes and whose actions are the actions of a true adult. Most people live by their desires or karma and that's what controls them. And he says, our actions are dictated by our karma. We're born into this world with our desires and we might live our whole lives just by reacting to those desires. And in contrast, a bodhisattva is one who lives by vow. So we chant a lot about vows, we take vows. In other words, it's the motivation for living that is different for a bodhisattva. Um, you can find the history, this goes way back in Mahayana tradition. Um, there's a guidelines that are first appeared in the Pali Canon. They're called Foundations for Social Unity in the Sangaha Sutta. And the term for those four methods or, or guidance is known as four embracing actions of the Bodhisattva. And uh, Dogen set out his version of these um, in his Shobo Genzo. So you can find even that right, right on our website. Um, under the suggested readings, if you're curious about those. Um, the four methods of guidance are giving, kind speech, beneficial action, and identity action. And the one I've been thinking about a lot uh, lately is identity action. So identity action um, can mean non-difference. Non-difference from self, non-difference from others. Or for me, no separation. That means no separation. And um, we experience self and others as one when we are connected to identity action. And Dogen says action means right form, dignity, correct manner. This means you cause yourself to be in identity with others after causing others to be in identity with you. But here's the trick. The relationship of self and others varies limitlessly according to circumstance. So, um, For me, I would say being a bodhisattva means asking ourselves, is there anything more important than the way in which we relate to self and others? The way in which we are in relationship, the way in which two or more concepts, objects, or people are connected, or the state of being connected, the way in which two or more people or groups regard and behave toward each other. I don't think there's anything more important to consider in our lives. And I'm sorry, I can't tell you um, what the right exact way is to show up in relationship. Um, or what the appropriate response is to certain situations in your day-to-day -day life. 
because it's the same as practicing koans. You know, that is uh, your experience and that is our experience living in the everyday world. And as we, as we sit and start to notice reality, we learn that everything changes. So everything's always changing. So that doesn't allow us to be sure or confident that we know the answer because we might have, but then the situation probably will change. And so our response will also need to change. Um, I think what's important is that we are constantly asking ourselves about this. Particularly um, as, we, as we begin to notice and our awareness is cultivated and we experience sort of transitory life in front of us, our thoughts, our feelings, events that happen, particularly if it's a violently strong emotion, our practice can help um, sit in that. But importantly, it can help with how we respond when we're in the midst of strong emotion. And I think uh, that awareness and that vow to experience ourselves as not separate is how we heal ourselves and the world. And more and more these days, as more connected we all become, it, feel, it can really feel like the more disconnected we're becoming. Much more easier, well, I mean, it's always been easy, but you know, just to stay right here in this very narrow, small, focused self. But if we can recognize the rest of the world around us um, that can change the way we respond and, and the way we are in relationship. And sometimes that means allowing ourselves to be uncomfortable and to not shy away from discomfort. You know, sometimes it means noticing a pattern or noticing in my, am I not being honest about that? Am I not expressing how I really feel right now? Am I stuck in a rut? Am I pushing something away? Or am I trying too hard to control the situation and clinging too hard to it? We get stuck in an idea of ourselves, and we lose the fluidity um, that gives our life aliveness. Uh, there's a beautiful chapter in Enkyo Roshi's book, Most Intimate, which is about relationship. And she talks about the, the patch robe um, that she sometimes wears for very special ceremonies that's made by traditionally all different types of cloths from all different people in the community, you know, who all had different lives and went through <clears throat> different experiences from birth to sickness, to old age, to death. And so when she wears the robe, it's, it's like a memory robe, thinking of the people and the integrating elements of all life. And it's a reminder that this is the way we all live in relationship with everything all the time. But we forget that, or it can be merely an idea rather than a lived experience. And the robe can serve as a reminder of how suffering is in fact, 
an element of life. And those pieces of loss and grief from people who might not be with us any longer or who have su suffered great illness are there intermixed with birth and wedding materials. And so when we see that this is a reminder of the fact that suffering is a part of it, of the whole life that we live, life becomes much easier and we're able to face difficulties of relationship in our lives when we realize that they're part of the package. The first of the Buddha's Four Noble Truths says simply that suffering exists. And so it's ironic, it can be a great release to realize that we no longer need to struggle or deny our suffering. Instead, we can find ways for that understanding to help us in our lives. So now for the story of this podcast episode. Um, the podcast is called Rumble Strip. I don't know if anybody's familiar with it. Very much uh, what, we, what we now call hyperlocal journalism. Um, it's a podcast that a woman produces. She's a journalist who tells stories about small towns in Vermont and about living in Vermont and the people who live there kind of small town Vermont stories. And I'm sure it uh, affected me because I, I connect to it because I've been writing about my small town, which is the Lower East Side here in New York City for um, a very long time. Um, she's really good at listening. Um, I consider her to be a great example of a bodhisattva. And um, she creates these amazing soundscapes with live music and, and the environment. And she really lets the people she's talking to just express themselves. And it's clear um, that she, she's gotten to a point where they are very comfortable um, and she's creating a space for which they can really just share what, whatever's coming up for them in their life. And to me, that takes a lot of profound skill for someone to feel that comfortable in an interview. Um, so this, <clears throat> this story, <clears throat> that really has stuck with me. It's called Finn and the Bell. And it won a Peabody uh, recently. <clears throat> it's about a young man named Finn who lived in a town in Vermont called Hardwick, uh, who died by suicide in, the, in 2020. But what the story is really about is the community uh, that loved him and the impact that he made on the community. And so the episode doesn't examine why he died. <clears throat> we get to know him through the voices of his family and the townspeople. His mom, Tara Reese, is featured prominently. She says he'd write little notes to find in weird places, like on logs in the wood pile. And he'd go out in the winter to get wood, and there'd be a note. Hi, mom, I love you. He liked coziness. He had a very, very active life. He was, um, he loved baseball. He was a star baseball player. So you, we hear from the, the coach who's just sobbing a bit. Um, he was a president of student council. Uh, he was just very involved in lots of activities. Um, this town, in, it's Vermont, so there's a town, there's a term called Kipnik, 
So it's like a mix of hippie and redneck, but they, that's how they describe the, the combination of people. So they call each other hipnecks. And they say that, that Finn was definitely a hipneck. <laughs> it's a combination of a person who could help you weed your garden or feed your truck or <laughs> fix your truck. <laughs> um, he didn't like smartphones. He was very disheartened by the whole election stuff. And he was also in a, a theater company. Um, and the months before he died, he heard about a bell that would ring at a former high school nearby uh, when its teams won, when they went away games. So that the whole valley knew the win altogether. And he wanted one for his town. And his mom said he was a kid who had some notion of community being something inclusive and participatory. And he thought that the bell could celebrate all kinds of things, not just a, a winning, a spelling bee winner, a baby being born and could help bring people together. So we hear from all these different people um, about the town getting the bell in his honor as well. And when she interviews um, the mother, it ends with her explaining and sharing her experience um, in those first few minutes after Finn took his life. And it happened when they were all at home together. And um, the whole family was there. He came home from school and they would normally chat when he came home, but he, he wasn't quite in the mood. We went upstairs and they were sitting in the living room around their fireplace. And I guess the chimney went through his room. And um, he went and got firewood for them. His dad said, you want to go out and get something to eat? <clears throat> he said, I'm not hungry. And he went upstairs. I'm not going to be able to do it justice, but I'm going to quote her as she's describing it. She said, so we we're probably down there for five minutes. The sound went right down the chimney. And it took a long time to sort of, it was probably a half second, but in my head, I knew. And then we all started screaming pretty much, except Lyle, and Lyle's the brother. He was just standing there. And so she says, I'm gonna go get Butch, that's their neighbor. Butch will know what to do, he's on the fire squad. I went outside, it was snowing, it was beautiful. I put on whichever boots I could find, they were mismatched and one was Finn's and one was Lyle's and they were both left feet. It was like I was watching it all, I can't explain. It's not that I wasn't present, I was fully present, but also watching it at the same time. I don't know if that makes any sense, but I got to the barn and they had this big floodlight on their house. I got there and it was snowing. And sometimes when you look up at a light and it's snowing, it's so beautiful. And I stopped screaming. I had been screaming this whole way. And I looked up at that light and it was snowing and it felt like there was no time at all. And the whole life flashing before your eyes thing, I guess there was a part of that because I could see Finn at all of his ages all at once. All at once and me all at once and everybody I've ever met all at once. 
like volcanoes, dinosaurs, and the Big Bang, seasons rapidly changing, like me getting old without him, him being old. It was kind of like me, Finn, and God. I'd say that's the best way I've ever described it. And I felt like Finn was gathering all of what was left of him, like the energy that was still everywhere because he was such a big person. And I was sort of waiting kind of patiently almost for it all to gather. And that it was, it was like, and it just sort of got in me somehow is how I felt it. I've explained this very few times. It was infinite compassion for every person that ever lived, including me and including Finn for doing this. I remember saying out loud, oh, I understood for just a second why we were alive and it felt like it was for each other. Mm -hmm.